You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 565 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and uh, for the third time in about a week, I am joined by Jeff Siegel. What's up, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the weekend. It's April, and we're looking forward and backwards, I suppose, with the Atlanta Hawks on this podcast. Uh, if you missed it earlier, I guess last week now as we record this, uh, we had two different episodes breaking down the roster. First, with the old guys, um, with Vince Carter at the, at the head of that line, and Dwight Devin and Kent Bazemore as well. And then we did episode two with the young veterans, talking about John Collins and Torian Prince and reviewing what they did this year, looking ahead to the future. And this third installment of three will focus on the rookies. So uh, obviously Trey Young is the most popular and uh, important piece of this podcast. He'll be, he'll be the last guy we talk about on the show. But, you know, Amari Spellman, Jalen Adams, and Kevin Herter also in the mix here. So, Jeff, we have plenty to get to on the pod, and let's just get rolling. Uh, let's talk about Jalen Adams first because – Adams is technically a rookie. Uh, he was in he was in the 2018 draft. Was not drafted, but then was a, a two way contract guy for the Hawks that was actually converted to a full contract by the end of the year. So, um, I guess big picture, what did you see from Jalen Adams in his first slash rookie season out of St. Bonaventure? And he played more than he was supposed to play. That's for sure. Yeah, he played more than he was supposed to play because uh, Jeremy Lin decided that he would like to move on after the uh, the trade deadline, and they were happy to you know, to, to make that happen for him so that he could go sign in Toronto. And so all of a sudden Jalen Adams was the, the, the backup point guard. It wasn't necessarily something that uh, I thought they should do when they, when they brought him in and decided he was going to be the backup for the, the last part of the season. I thought there were, you know, a handful of, of other G league point guards. I think Walt Lemon was, was the guy that I thought was most interesting, but I don't think from what I know of Walt Lemon, which is not, you know, an extensive amount, but I think, uh, Lemon isn't a shooter, and obviously that doesn't work for the Hawks. That's what, that's what they want at all positions, and that's where we get to Jalen Adams because uh, he can shoot the ball. If he can't do anything else, he can definitely shoot the ball. Yeah, I mean, it's probably you know, it's certainly his calling card. He's a smaller guy. He's not that small. I think he's listed at like 6'2", 190. I think he probably is smaller than that in my anecdotal experience, but he's not super tiny. Um, and his calling card is certainly, certainly coming as a shooter to this point in time, you know, um, in his limited career, three-point shooting has not been a big issue. He's not been the knockdown guy that I thought he was going to be, but it's a pretty small sample size, all things considered, about 34% from three. Um, but, you know, in college, he was a 40% shooter from three on, on big-time volume. That's kind of what he um, – his calling card was. I will say, as we get deeper into, into Adams here, I kind of liked him in the draft. I thought he was a worthwhile, like, late second-round pick for somebody. He didn't end up getting drafted, but I kind of appreciated the Hawks going out and getting him because of what you said. They like shooting, handling, passing. He can do all that stuff. And, uh, you know, defensively, he did not project to be a pretty strong player. But kind of weirdly, he exceeded my expectations defensively probably didn't meet them offensively because, you know, again, it's a pretty small sample size, but a 47% true shooting for, for Jalen Adams this year, that's pretty rough um, for anybody, especially with someone who needs to be a quality and efficient offensive player. And when you combine that with 20% or so turnover rate, 19.7%, that's pretty ugly offensively. And as a result of that, the offense kind of cratered when he played, honestly. they had, The Hawks had a 101 
of offensive rating with Adams on the floor this season. He was not always playing with the best with the best guys around him, which has to be said and uh, reemphasized for all the on-off stats. But you know, weirdly, offense was kind of a disappointing side for Adams during the season, and defense was probably a little bit better than you would think it would have been. Yeah, I mean, and that's because the 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 expectations were sort of maybe a little bit warped on both ends, where Adams was sort of billed as more of a knockdown shooter, somebody who could handle the ball and pass a little bit. I, I wasn't as impressed with that those parts of his game uh, as as some people were, and then the defense was advertised to be like maybe one of the five worst guys in the league. And at least he wasn't that, you know, he was better than Trey young on that end of the floor. We'll get to Trey's defense later. Uh, but you know, he was better than Trey on that end of the floor. He was scrappy enough to, you know, to be not abysmally bad, but he still does obviously need the, the offense to come around in a big way because that's his, that's his skill. And, and for the most part, backup point guards usually have, like it's usually really really apparent with backup point guards if you're not a starter level player you're good on one end of the floor or the other and for for Adams it should be the offensive side it should be the fact that he's a shooter if he can if he can develop a little bit more as a, as a ball handler and a passer that would be nice just so that he's he's more of an all-around offensive point guard um otherwise it's it's going to be a little bit rough you know if, is he going to be able to to hold down a job just being a shooter probably not not at 6 foot 2 you know, there just aren't uh, aren't a lot of guys in the league at that height who are are can can sustain an NBA career on just literally just being a three point shooter. Yeah, and I think he has some creation ability. He's not the greatest finisher. You know, actually on twos this season, he shot thirty six percent. That's really bad. It's also a very very small sample size, so you can't be too too worried about that. I think he kind of is what you would think he'd be as an undrafted guy. You know, he was a top seventy probably player in last year's draft on my board and some other boards. And that's, you know, for what you expect, that's kind of what you think it would be. He is a little bit older. He was a four-year guy in college, so he's not super young either. Um, but, you know, Adams is someone who will be uh, under contract for the for the offseason. The Hawks will take him to Las Vegas almost certainly, and he'll be, you know, barring them drafting a point guard in the draft, which they could certainly do if they're looking for a, back, a, a sort of a long-term backup. I've been critical of people that wanted to have the Hawks take a point guard in the lottery or a point guard first player because that wouldn't make a ton of sense to me. But a second-round pick potentially could be around. But if that, if that does not happen, Adams will be at, at the forefront in summer league as the guy running the offense because Trey Young is not going to be there. So plenty of opportunity to see what happens with him moving forward. One more question before we move on to Amari Spellman. Adams, you know, there's a sort of a divide. Not, I wouldn't say it's a divide necessarily, but there's people that in, in Hawks country that have been asking me what his role should be for next year. It kind of, I kind of just alluded to it. Like, maybe I think they're going to probably sign someone or draft someone ahead of him. But you know, having a third point guard hybrid player isn't the worst idea in the world. Would you plan on entering the offseason? Would you plan on Adams being on the roster next season? Because now that he's been converted, he's not on a two way anymore. And it's kind of harder in some ways for him because of the fact that he, he he's, there, isn't, there isn't that safety of having the two-way contract to fall back on. They, they still could sign him to that, but they have to, I guess, waive him before they did that. So, you know, where do you expect him to be at the start of next season? I know it's very, very early, but it's kind of an interesting question to think about. Yeah, and it's it's worth pointing out that to, to your point of they could waive him and then sign him back to a two-way contract because they gave him $100,000 guaranteed for next year. Oh, yeah, they, they actually can't do that. You can yep. only do that up for up to 50000 guaranteed. So he will not be on a two-way contract with the Hawks next season because of that, that $50,000 rule, which, you know, I would 
So just to, just to point that out, but getting back to the to your question, I would plan on him not being on the roster personally. I just don't think that you know the the I don't think he's an NBA an NBA player. I don't think he's a he might be like a, a low end you know third point guard kind of guy. But you know at what he's going to be twenty three you know in the next season, the the upside really isn't there. It's not like he's you know if he was six foot four and doing the exact same stuff then it would be worth investing, I think, in him a little bit more and, and keeping him around and trying to, you know, see if you can tease out any sort of, you know, guard 3 and D qualities or, or some sort of, uh, you know, all-around offensive player, but at six foot four, where it's, you know, more valuable than at six foot two. But it just, it, he didn't strike me as somebody who is worth in investing in long-term. They don't have to if they don't want to. They obviously can just keep him around for next year on the minimum and then see where he is after that. They would uh, they would still have his restricted rights going into the summer of 2020 if they kept him around next year. So there's you know there's no need to to make a a rash decision on that I guess until they have to. But if I were kind of conceiving of what this what the 15 man roster is going to look like. I would not. I, w- I don't think I would have Adams on it. Depending, of course, on on whether they get a a rookie point guard in the draft. Certainly, if they get a rookie point guard in the draft, then I would I would say his his days are are certainly numbered. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that they could use the f- fifteen roster spots in a more optimal way than having Adams on the roster, given his very very small guarantee. But there are also worse ways to use roster spots as well. So it wouldn't bother me if Adams was around. I think it, the only way that would bother me is if he was like the primary backup going into next season, which I can't imagine is going to be the plan. So we'll keep an eye on him. And I still, again, I think just for the record, I do like Jalen Adams as a player. It's just kind of, he has to make a ton of shots or it's just not going to work. And we'll see if he ends up making enough of them to stick around. Um, Moving on to the trio of first-round picks, who are obviously a little bit bigger names. Amari Spellman is the first one that we'll talk about here. Spellman had his season cut short with injury, uh, which is unfortunate because he would have gotten a lot of development time down the stretch when they were playing guys like Isaac Humphreys and Deontay Davis. You know, It would have been a lot more interesting, honestly, to watch a guy like Spellman play those minutes down the stretch, but he still played in 46 games, made 11 starts, played about 800 minutes, so it wasn't like it was a lost season entirely, just that it's, it's been a while since, since, since he's actually played for the Hawks. So top-line thoughts here, what did you make of Spellman's rookie season? Because it's almost like people have forgotten, not that he exists, but just kind of that he did play more than you think he played. Yeah, I mean, I thought he I thought he had a good rookie year. I, he was better than I expected him to, to be. He was more skilled. He was more, you know, sort of fluid with the ball in his hands. He has a better... He's, he's just a better shooter than I thought he was going to be, you know, coming in. And, and you know, the, the numbers might not totally bear out that he was was a solid shooter, but I thought his his mechanics look good on, on the catch-and-shoot jumpers in particular. You know, I, I was particularly impressed. With, with big men in particular, you can see sometimes if the pass is, like, down by their ankles or up by their shoulders or, or you know, if they, have, if they have to reach in a direction for a pass, then they have to reset themselves and shoot it doesn't always go super well for big guys. Like usually they're used to receiving passes right on the numbers and, and they can fire away like that. But he was better at being able to sort of catch in weird directions and, and behind him and at his ankles and all sorts of stuff and still be able to, to make those shots and, and just look good shooting those shots. And, you know, that's a, that's a particularly small thing. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not going to make or break a career based on that skill, but it was nice to see him, him flash that skill. That was one of the, the biggest things that I noticed when he went down to the G League after his first injury with the hip, he went down to the G League just to get his conditioning back a little bit. And, 
you know, the, the point guards down there are not Trey Young. He was getting passes all over the place, but he was still able to to reset himself and, and make some shots down there. So I think, you know, that was one of the the like individual skills that I thought were, you know, that was emblematic of his overall shooting ability. I thought he he shot the ball well. I thought he was better with the ball in his hands, you know, than than I expected him to be. He was better sort of pump fake drive, take two dribbles and and make the right decision you know, find the, find the right pass. He's a good passer or, uh, or try to finish inside. And so I thought he was, you know, he was better, you know, all of those things that I just talked about are all offensive skills. There's a reason for that. So, you know, they're <laughs> they're They certainly went offense only in the, in the draft as we'll sort of get to when we, when we get to the three guys, Spellman's not particularly strong defensively. You know, the, the, some of the individual numbers are decent, but he's, you know, not a great rebounder is not in nobody's scared to go up against Omari Spellman at the rim. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. He's certainly more of an offensive player at this point than a defensive player, but he's better as an offensive player than frankly, than, uh, than I expected him to be. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to go back a little bit and I don't want to rehash the whole draft analysis of Spellman, but you know, in some circles, he was billed as, as a defense first player. I know he was talked about a lot for his defense at Villanova, and he was okay on the end of the floor there and had some nice plays. Um, it was a pretty good shot blocker in college, which I think has kind of been lost. And part of that is because he isn't—he just doesn't have the size in the NBA to be a great shot blocker. But that was a skill that he was—that he definitely did show in college that really didn't manifest itself so far yet in the NBA to a to a large extent. But. Uh, he's definitely, as you note, an offense first player right now. Um, and, you know, offensively, he had a decent season. Like, he wasn't particularly efficient, uh, about 52% true shooting, but he shot the ball well from three, 34%. His two-point uh, two, two field goal rate was not very good. But, you know, that's, that's something that he'll, that he'll get better. He'll get, he'll get better around the rim, and uh, he, he showed some playmaking ability, et cetera, et cetera. So I think offensively, it was kind of a, uh, a success, all things considered. But the reason why I was not high on Amari coming into the draft, and people know that that listen to this podcast, but I'll say it again and sort of admit to that. So if it works out, I'll be wrong about this one. But um, I just didn't see it defensively, uh, and I don't really, I didn't really see much of what much of that during the season either. I will say. A lot of that stems from him potentially not being in the greatest shape right now. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I think it would help him quite a bit if he was in better shape. And I think he's, he's acknowledged that as well. And um, that's sort of just out there in the ether to discuss or not discuss. But, you know, instinctually, he has some nice moments every once in a while, but he's uh, not a great positional guy right now. He's a rookie. It's going to get better. But how much better is up for debate and without the just the raw physical tools that he um, doesn't really bring to the table, like he's not a bad athlete, um, especially if he was in better shape. But he's still only six nine. He's got decently long arms, but not a guy who has like ideal center length. And he's not the quickest guy in the world on the perimeter. So you combine those two that, those two, the, two those two things together, and the and the Draymond Green stuff that was out there before the draft and after the draft is just incredibly silly. Um, so. We'll see how he fares. I, I, I'm in agreement with you that his offensive season was definitely better than advertised. I think I think defensively he wasn't worse than I thought he was going to be. So I think all things considered, it was it was a success, barring the injury, which is just going to happen. It's not his fault that he got injured. So, I mean, if there's is there an area or two you're looking for Spellman to prove on that he, that he could show during this offseason? Because he's going to be in Las Vegas. He'll probably be the centerpiece of the non-rookie class in Las Vegas, considering Herter and Young won't be there. Um, is it rebounding? Because that was something he really did poorly this year that was kind of a surprise for me. That's probably the one thing that they could certainly say that he disappointed in. You know, 60%, 16% defensive rebound rate is not very good for someone who's supposed to be very good at that. That was supposed to be one of the strengths. Um, anything else you're looking for for him to sort of show between now and summer league and training camp into next season? Because there's obviously some stuff he can improve on. Uh, I mean, I would like to – the the weight stuff is is probably the only – 
the only thing over the summer that I would like, like I would like to see him in Las Vegas, just looking a lot better than he was looking when, you know, on the floor this season and just not even skill wise, not even anything that has to do with on the court basketball stuff. Just like, what does he physically look like? How much weight can he lose, you know, between now and July, how much muscle can he put on to re- to replace that weight, all of that stuff. And so, you know, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing I'm, I'm looking for from him is, is just to, to get in NBA shape. And, and it's, kind of impressive, frankly, that he was able to do what he was able to do while being not in NBA shape. There are a handful of guys around the league who are who are like that and who are able to carve out nice careers. But, you know, if you're talking about, you know, a Jared Dudley, who is is more of a, a eighth man role player, unless you're playing Philadelphia and then he's really good all <laughs> of a sudden. But like he's mostly, you know, eighth, ninth man off the bench. If Spellman turns into that as the 30th overall pick, that's fine. But he's got more skills than that. Like he's got the ceiling of being better than that. And so if he can, you know, cut down on the weight and and you know just be be in better shape, I think he would uh, he would benefit you know greatly from that. And I think the the flashes of athleticism that you see from him every once in a while, the the every once in a while he'll have a a, a possession where he'll jump out on a guard and he'll slide for two steps, and then you realize like because. You know, two steps is all you really need from a big guy. You don't you don't need right. them to slide all the way down the court with the guy. If you can if you can slide for two steps with a with a with a guard as a big man, that's your elite already. And every once in a while you saw that. Like it wasn't it wasn't every time, and it wasn't con, you know consistent enough to say that he can do it. But he might be able to do that someday. Get you know with the with the weight concerns, we'll see you know how he can he can develop there. But you know the the. The functional athleticism, even if he doesn't look like a, an elite athlete, the functional athleticism I thought was there. And if he, you know, turns his body into an elite athlete, all of a sudden he's, you know, he could be at least better on that on that end of the floor, just on both ends, really, in terms of being able to drive past guys, in terms of being being able to elevate over defenders, you know, especially if he's, you know, coming up against guys his own size or guys a little bit bigger than him. If he's playing center, being able to rise up for lobs or or uh, you know, dunks over, over, you know, seven footers, seven foot one, seven foot two guys. Like those are, those are important attributes. You know, it's not necessarily going to make or break him, but if he were to, you know, lose some weight and, and gain some muscle, it would help him gain, you know, some of that athleticism that he shows in flashes, but you know, isn't there as consistently as I'd like it to be. Yeah. He has really, he actually has pretty good feet. And that's something that like it kind of gets lost every once in a while. But you know, to your point about his functional athleticism, that's kind of there for Spellman. You can sort of see it in small bursts, and I think that's probably where some of the you know unrealistic defensive comps got um I got sort of came from during the draft was because of the flashes that he can show. So if you string more of those together and pair that with his intriguing offensive game, because if he knocks down shots, he's not he's not shy as a shooter. Probably overly so right now, but I kind of want to. I would prefer that he leans in that direction. Like he was uh, pretty quick triggered this year as a shooter, which is what you want to see for someone of his skill set. So combine that with his, you know, ability to handle, ability to pass a little bit. You have a pretty intriguing player. I still would not project him to be a starter in the league in the future, but at number thirty overall, you don't need that to happen. Like you need him to be a functional rotation player. That be- that becomes a very strong draft pick if that comes to fruition. And um, I'm higher on him now than I was a year ago. That isn't saying too, too much, I understand, considering how low I was on the draft pick. But 
you know, he had a he had a better season than, than some guys in the first round. So it's not like it was um, a lost cause at all. I think Spellman did show quite a bit, and hopefully he can stay healthy because it would have been again one sort of to bring things full circle. It would have been a lot of, a lot of fun to sort of watch him develop more at the end of the year when it was uh, kind of all development time down the stretch. And we'll see if he maybe he gets a little bit of uh, that back. Over the summer, we'll see what, actually what he, what he looks like physically as well. I'll be, I'll be sure to report back on that when we get to Las Vegas. Um, Jeff, before we get to Kevin Herter and Trey Young, I do want to take a second to remind people to subscribe to this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or Himalaya, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, all those places that you, that you like to listen to podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe to our show, bookmark it, do everything that you possibly can to support the podcast, leave five-star feedback, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll come back in just a few seconds with more on the Atlanta Hawks. All right, Jeff, we're back and uh, transitioning to the more high-profile duo of the of the rookies. We'll go to Kevin Herter first. Herter was, of course, the number 19 overall pick out of Maryland. There was lots of stories around the draft about the Hawks trying to trade up for him. They didn't actually have to do that because they were able to stay put, and he fell in their laps after Lonnie Walker went the pick before to San Antonio. Um, and ever since then, it's been pretty darn positive around Kevin Herter. You know, he missed summer league. That was something that they, that they definitely anticipated and knew going into the year. And despite that slow start and uh, what was uh, admittedly by him and the coaching staff a pretty rough, a pretty rough and rocky preseason because he got such a, a such a late start and missed some time. Once he got settled in, it was uh, better than advertised. I think for a mid round, first round pick, he'll have a outside chance to be an all rookie participant. I'm not betting on him making it, but you know the Hawks put out the campaign for it, and realistically so, because he actually played pretty well, all, all things considered. So, with that said, same, same, sort, of, same sort of thing here. What, what were your top-line thoughts on Herter's uh, rookie season and what that tells us moving forward? I mean, I thought he he was also one of the, you know, the the theme of the rookie class for the, for the Hawks were all that they were better than I expected them to be. I just, because I expect so little out of, out of rookies and because the... The, the, the theme of, of rookies in general or that they're just so bad. I kind of expected a mid-round rookie and, of course, the, the last pick in the, in the first round in Amari Spellman. I expected both of those guys to be rotation pieces only because the Hawks have something invested in them and that this is a, a development season for those guys, but not necessarily because they deserve to be in the rotation. But I thought, you know, for both guys, they, they did deserve to be in the rotation based on the, the roster that they had around them and, and Herder in particular was better than, than I expected across, you know, pretty much everything. I mean, he shot the ball as, as advertised. He was as advertised as a shooter. He was a better playmaker, a better passer, a better, you know, had a better handle than, than I really expected him to have. He was probably the best defender of the, of the rookie quartet that we're talking about here. You know, he's, at six foot seven, he's got some some defensive upside just because of his size and because of you know the the scarcity of guys who are you know six foot seven and can play basketball at a, at a high level. So you know I think that's the that that's the positive parts with him is that he's just got the defensive upside even though it didn't show up immediately in in year one because he's kind of frail and doesn't have you know a lot of strength on his bones and a lot of meat on his bones. He needs to to work on that. Um, but if he's He's got some of the defensive upside was intriguing to say the least. And then the offensive package was a lot more well-rounded than I expected it to be, I think. Yeah, I think that's probably a good place to start on the offensive side. It's uh, pretty positive overall. The shooting, as you mentioned, is as advertised. He's a very, very good shooter. Uh, and if not for the presence of Vince Carter and his incredible shooting right now on the roster, he probably would have been the best shooter on the team, frankly. Um, Herter. 
shot 39% from three in his rookie season. That is uh, an obvious success given that, you know, he's a rookie and it's a longer line, et cetera. That's, that's an elite level number. Um, other parts of his offensive game probably weren't as impressive in terms of just production versus NBA players, but I agree with you that his, his handle was, in, was intriguing. Um, the fact that he just brings some positional size to the table. I will say, we have to talk about this a little bit in a number of different ways now, his lack of force that he plays with right now is a problem moving forward if it, if it doesn't change. I expect it to um, improve as he moves forward, but he is frail right now, does not play with a ton of force, not play with, with a ton of uh, power to his game, and that's to be expected for someone who is so young and had sort of lost his first offseason in terms of uh, weight training and stuff like that. He, he had the thumb injury, which kind of hurts when you're trying to lift weights and stuff like that. You can't really do much of that stuff. So as a result of that, he doesn't play with that force around the rim. His, his finishing was not great this year. For instance, he shot, um, did not shoot well at the uh, sort of from two point range this season, uh, 45%, which is not just disastrous, but not particularly good. Got to the line uh, a comically little amount 56 free throw attempts in 2048 minutes on the season for Kevin Herter, um, which that won't probably be a, a huge part of his game moving forward, but. I can't express to you how little that is to get into the line. He doesn't get um, much lower of a free throw rate um, as what we saw from Kevin Herter. And for me, something that he's going to have to improve on is his rebound rate. Um, I wrote this down. We talked about this with Torian Prince on our last podcast about how about how bad of a rebounder Prince is given his size. Prince is bigger than Herter is right now, but Herter is actually worse than Prince as a rebounder right now. He was the worst defensive rebounder on the entire team, worse than Troy Young, worse than Jalen Adams, which is uh, – just staggering to see on paper. Um, 9.7% defensive rebound rate. That is bad for a point guard. And Kevin Herter is a legit 6-7. So um, part, of the, part of that's just the way he plays and he kind of just drifts around the perimeter. But he's going to have to get stronger. We all know that. He knows that. The, the staff knows that, etc. But it's just something that we have to say out loud is that he's going to have to just get tougher in the way that he plays and finish through contact and defend more physically, etc. That, that should all come with, with with maturity and just more time and development, but it is going to have to improve. Yeah, I mean, and that's that pretty much sums everything up that uh, that I that I think about about how his game has developed. I'm not super worried about the the shoot the shooting fouls and and drawing fouls and getting to the line. It's just not if he's going to be more of an outside shooter, he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much. I don't think that 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 that's kind of the role that he played last year. I mean, his usage was fine, but because that's because he was taking a lot of shots, like a lot of catch and shoot shots and a lot of you know, one dribble pull-ups. It's not necessarily because he had the ball in his hands to create a bunch and he wasn't getting to the rim. It's not like he gets to the rim a lot and then doesn't get fouled when he gets there because that would be indicative of him shying away from contact in a way. He just doesn't really get to the rim that much and doesn't get fouled. And that's, you know, as long as those two things are in concert in some way, like as, if, they, if the rim numbers go up and the free throw numbers don't, then that's a problem. If the free throw numbers go up and the rim numbers don't, then that's probably a good thing. That means he's getting fouled on jump shots, which is fine. Um, you know, so I think that's that's where it's – I'm not quite as worried about the uh, the free throw numbers, but, you know, he does – I mean, he certainly needs to to bulk up. He needs to play with more force. He needs to jump in on the, on the, on the defensive glass a little bit more, which is interesting just because – he was a willing participant on the offensive glass. He would crash relatively often, uh, but he was not a particularly good defensive rebounder. So it's just, that's kind of an interesting thing, especially because he played so many of his minutes with John Collins. And you would have thought that 
Collins would eat up on the offensive glass and Collins is secretly sort of not wasn't fantastic as he was on the offensive glass on the defensive side. So you would have thought that there would be more defensive rebounds to go around. But Herter was not a beneficiary in that department. Certainly Torian Prince wasn't either. So where exactly all those defensive rebounds went, it's not you know totally clear. But I think, uh, you know, Herter certainly needs to help out in, in that department. And just, you know, bulking up and, and being better defensively, you know, is as, uh, you know, as important as he is to the long term, you know, future of the team. It's not necessarily set in stone that he's going to be, you know, a, a, a long term starter, a long term star player for this team. And so, you know, he does need to round out his game a little bit on the on the defensive end and, and just physically and then be able to be more confident with the ball in his hands, be more confident in his own shot. I think that was the the other sort of culprit uh, of you know some of the the lower usage games this season that he would get an open shot or be able to create for himself but then he'd just kick it back to Trey and and Trey would have to figure it out with you know 10 10 or 8 on the shot clock and so the 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 confidence in his own offensive abilities is is the biggest thing I think offensively for him uh, in the next you know 3 months to try to develop yeah, he kind of just floated too much, which is a, it's a very rookie thing that he did. So it's not really a criticism of Herder. He just didn't play with a ton of force and confidence at, at different times. When he had it going, he would you sort of you sort of watch it unlock, and he'd be more confident in in, uh, in his handle and his creation ability. I think the free throw thing, uh, to your point, is not super important, but it also would unlock some upside and show. You know, right now we 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 definitely saw the makings of a very very good offensive player this season with just the shooting. The shooting alone unlocks so much for him. It's just, you know, if you're looking for someone who could also attack the rim regularly, um, you want to see more force with that. Like, and he has the handle for it and the creation ability and the passing ability off the bounce to, to go ahead and do that. But if you combine that all, you're going to need some more aggressiveness from him to reach the ceiling. But again, it's a, it's a rookie season. He played a ton. He played more than I thought he was going to play. And he was, you know, on, on the bright side, he was the beneficiary of some injuries to other guys. You know, Bazemore, Bazemore going down for a while, Prince going down for a while. And of course, the team just kind of being out of it allowed him to play starter minutes for most of the season. And that's really good for his long-term development. And uh, I'm hoping and I'm honestly expecting him to be a markedly better player in year two than he was in year one. And he was already pretty solid in year one. So you you, you have to like what you saw from Kevin Herter and, you know, going along with the same thing that we talked about with Spellman, number number 19 overall for Herter, you know, you would love to get a starter there. And I think he's uh, well on the path to do that. It's not, it's not assured, as you sort of mentioned there, that he's definitely going to be, you know, the starting shooting guard in bold letters for this team moving forward. But that is definitely on the table as a as a possibility, um, maybe even likely possibility. And at the very least, we saw, even as a rookie, that he could already be a functional rotation player. And that's uh, a nice place to be for someone who is still 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that, that's the, in terms of looking toward the future, that's the biggest thing that matters is sort of where does he fit in on the team? What can he work on? Where, you know, what kind of skills does he bring to the table? And, you know, at this point, he's, still very fungible in terms of his offensive role. He can play as a, as a shooter. He can play with the ball in his hands a little bit more. That was one thing that if you, you know, you had to be somewhat critical of a, of a coaching staff that did a fantastic job in, in their first season together. You know, I thought that they perhaps over relied on Trey young in certain situations. You know, obviously he's the star. He's the, he was, you know, maybe you know one of the the best players on. The, he was definitely one of the best players on the team. Arguably, over the last you know few months of the season, was the the best guy on the team. You know, along with John Collins, and so he, the the focus was obviously very, uh, you know, fo- it was obvious. The offense was very focused on Trey, and I think that's where Herder doesn't need an invitation to take a step back, and 
he already he just sort of did as a result of of how focused everything was on Trey Young. There was less ball movement later on in the season because Trey just had the ball in his hand so much. And when he creates a shot, it's a good shot, right? Like there's doesn't need you know you you that's not a criticism of Trey Young that there was less ball movement in the latter half of the season than there was in the first half because. When Trey Young turns the corner in pick and roll and finds an open man, that guy's open and then he shoots it, and that's all that there needs to be. There doesn't need to be a bunch of ball movement when there's you know an elite you know, shot creator like that on the floor. So just to just to sort of alleviate the concerns that I'm I'm trashing Trey or anything like that, it's more that because everything was so focused on Trey and because offense became so easily to Trey Young in his first year, Herders creative ability was sort of muted and that's why you know that's why i wrote the article to call for him to be the backup point guard when jeremy lynn you know was bought out i thought this is perfect jalen adams is not you know probably not an nba player not an nba caliber point guard at this point let herder have those those possessions over the last you know you know couple months of the season just like zach levine did just like bradley beal did and those guys developed into being able to play the primary ball handler role, even if that's not their best role, they can jump into that role whenever they need to, and it works out for them offensively. That's what I sort of had envisioned for Kevin Herter. That's not the direction they went. They really tied his minutes with Trey pretty consistently and and let Trey, you know, let Trey cook, which you should if you're trying to win games, and he's obviously the the best ball handler on the team. That was just the one part of of his rookie season that I was disappointed in, even if that's not his fault. That's really more on the on the coaching staff than him. Yeah, I mean, and some of it could be attributed to Herter because of his lack of aggressiveness and assertiveness. But again, he's a 20-year-old rookie, and that's what comes with the territory. So part of its role, part of it's who he's playing with, part of it's just his mentality. And um, I think, weirdly, of all of the young guys, I think his year two is almost the most interesting to me. Because you kind of already know, well, I guess, what next year. You kind of already know what you're going to get from John Collins moving forward, uh, at least to a certain extent. Um, Trey Young was so good for most of the season that... You know he's going to improve, but the fact that he has such a high baseline, you kind of at least um, in a uh, prism of just looking for what he's going to be and how he's going to play, you kind of know what Trey Young's going to be. I'm not sure what Kevin Herter is. Like we know we know what he can do, what he can't do for the most part, but his jump should be the biggest, I think, between this year and next year of all these young guys. And um, that's interesting because if it if that happens, if he makes a big jump then you're in for uh, very, very encouraging times um, with him as your you know, third young guy or maybe fourth or fifth young guy if you add these guys from from the lottery for this year. So keep an eye on Kevin Herter. We'll talk more about him, obviously, moving forward. But um, it's Trey Young time, Jeff. We talked about Trey a second ago, but he's the guy we'll spend probably the longest time on on this podcast because he uh, is the, the centerpiece of the roster right now alongside John Collins. And I think, her, I, mean, I think Young is the number one guy on the roster still. I know Collins is better at this moment, at least had a better season than Young did. Um, I think just ceiling-wise, though, Young's ceiling is higher, and he uh, was the centerpiece of everything, especially really the entire season, but especially the last three or four months of the season. So um, I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked you of the other guys for top-line thoughts, and then we'll drill down on that after you uh, share them. I mean, the the top-line thoughts on Trey Young have to start with every positive adjective you can come up with because, like, there's no – there was no part of his – you know, especially over the last, you know, three, four months, once he really, once he got through the, he, he sort of hit the rookie wall, like immediately. And then once he sort of fought through that, the, the, the coaching staff was able to, to work with him on some mechanical stuff, as they mentioned, you know, as, as the season wore, you know, wore down, they, they met that Lloyd Pierce started to tell us about some of the, some of the stuff that, that, 
the, the, the coaching staff was able to go through with Trey in, in November and in early December, once he got past that, that initial hurdle, he was just unbelievable. Like he was just a great, he was a great point guard period. Like not a great rookie point guard. He was a great point guard over the last, you know, three and a half, four months of the year. And so it was, you know, that was obviously very encouraging, you know, where, where he goes from here, you know, the, the sky's the limit with, with him. And, and so it's just where he goes from here is going to be super interesting just because he's got the, the highest upside for anybody on the Hawks in the last like two decades, probably. I mean, since Dominique Wilkins, he's probably got the, the highest ceiling of, of all of those guys. And so it's just, his, his, his ceiling is so tantalizingly high because of the era that we're in because of, of exactly the, the type of skills that he brings to the table, that it's hard not to just get super excited about the, the last four months of the year and what he, he might be going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's the best way to put it is that he was just awesome. Um, you know, numbers-wise, we all know the drill. We said this a couple times throughout the uh, season, but I'll, I'll read the numbers to you now, just sort of the way that things broke down for Young throughout the season. Um, I made this point a lot, but it was uh, – people always say the slow start for Young – um, he actually had a pretty nice start in October. He was pretty good in October, and then, but it was really it was a 19 game stretch from November, from November 1st to December 8th. Really, really struggled, and we know that 35 uh, percent from the floor, 20 percent from three, 14.7 assists, and four and a half turnovers per game during that stretch. Obviously, everyone acknowledges that he was bad then, so I don't even want to go back there. I just want to lay that out there. But after that, the last 55 games. So that's you know two thirds of his rookie season. He averaged twenty one points, eight and a half assists, and almost four turnovers a game, shooting forty four percent from the from the floor and thirty six percent from three. So, if you for me that's the biggest and most meaningful sample of his season was that two thirds of a year. Um, that's not really picking and choosing. It's just like when the when the drought dried up from there all the way the rest of the season. That's a pretty darn strong baseline of 21 and eight and a half um, with pretty good efficiency. That's a, it's a pretty good player. If you want to be even more optimistic, his post all-star numbers are even better than that. Um, 25 points a game, nine assists, and only three turnovers per game after the all-star break. That's a smaller sample, so I, I tend to lean on the bigger one of the last 55 games. But regardless, to your point there, he was awesome offensively throughout the season, and uh, there's no other way to talk about that. Um you know, look, looking ahead a little bit on Young, offensively, um, you know, his ceiling is I don't, almost the best point guard in the league. If, if you count James Harden as a point guard, maybe not. <laughs> I'm not sure Young has a ceiling of James Harden present day because Harden is absolutely absurd at the moment. Um, but it's uh, his ceiling is definitely all NBA um, offensive player. Like, am I crazy here? I mean, I'm not sure it's MVP, but maybe it is. I mean, th- there are guys who have won MVP awards, you know, Steve Nash won two of them in a row, um, playing a similar style to what Young is doing right now. And I would not project that, but from a ceiling perspective, it's not crazy to think he could be an All-NBA guy um, for multiple seasons. And that's um, pretty absurd, but that's kind of where he is now. And like, and the stratosphere on which he plays, if you, if you combine his his feel, his passing, and his ability to stretch the defense as a shooter, it's uh, sky's the limit stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's not... It's hard to come up with a you know Steve Nash is the best comparison because of the passing ability. It's it's not Curry and it's not Damian Lillard because those guys aren't the the passers that Trey you know the Trey is and Trey's already above them in the in the passing echelon in the league and he's just a rookie like he's already you know beaten them out in terms of uh, you know his passing ability and so you are talking about Steve Nash 
you know, in terms of ceiling, obviously we're not talking about Steve Nash, right. You know, whether he's Steve Nash right now, ceiling wise, if he, you know, if he turns into Steve Nash, but built for this era with more off the dribble threes with the, the efficiency still where, where it was, where he's, you know, pushing, you know, pushing for a, a 50, 40, 90 season, or even, you know, something just, you know, just lo- a little bit less than that, but is also, you know, has the, the passing gifts that he's shown and is, is using as many possessions as he's using, you know, in, in this era of, of point guards being the, the most valuable player on the floor offensively in particular, that's, you know, th- that's where you get into some of the high end, all NBA, you know, all NBA first team MVP conversation type of, of numbers that, you know, you, you have to have that, that conversation with him, you know, in terms of what his ceiling is going, you know, could be someday because it's, it's there, it's on the table for him in, in a way that it's not for, you know, a lot of the other guys on the team, you know, even John Collins, as great as he was this season and as much sort of growth as he showed, if he ever makes an all NBA team, that would be pretty close to his, his absolute ceiling. Whereas Trey, if he never makes an all NBA team, that's, you know, maybe not a, a, an entire disappointment, but it's, it's getting close to, to being a disappointment that, uh, you know, if he's not, you know, one of the six best guards in the league, based on the fact, of course, that guards are, are so much more valuable offensively than defensively, and that point guards usually dominate the, the all NBA list just because they have the ball in their hands so much. So you, you know, you have to expect at some point that he's going to be, you know, a, a top five point guard in the league, and that's going to lead to a lot of all NBA appearances. And maybe, you know, he puts a, a season or two together and gets into the top five in MVP. You know, they, these these last two seasons we've seen from Damian Lillard where he finished fifth in the MVP voting last year and, 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 you know, for me, he's fifth again this year, but you know, we'll see exactly where, where Lillard finishes. He's certainly going to be, you know, top seven or eight, you know, by, as at a minimum, can Trey Young sort of emulate that? Can he emulate the, the sort of career arc that, that, uh, that Lillard had and, and is, is having and in, in, in terms of his impact on, on his team and his impact on, on his offensive, you know, on the, the offensive firepower of, of the Hawks going forward, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be up to him to to cut down on the turnovers. I think that's the really the only offensive thing that he really like needs to work on is is some of the the turnovers are not great, but he's trying for things that maybe don't work long term, or maybe they do. Maybe he gets a little, you know, if he gets ten percent better at taking risks, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna cut down on his turnover rate a ton. He's obviously they they. The, the Hawks as a as a club, you know, are very honed in on the right shots, are honed in on corner threes, are honed in on shots at the rim. Defenses are also honed in on those things. So when you try for those kinds of shots, your turnover rate is naturally going to be higher than if you are the San Antonio Spurs and you hunt mid-range shots and there's a reason those guys never turn the ball over because nobody cares if they shoot those shots so they're not trying to get in the passing lanes to, to take away a LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, pick and pop jumper, you know, even though he's very good at that, it's not the same as the the type of attention that defenses play to corner three point shooters, you know, or, you know, even like Kevin Hurd or Torian Prince, when those guys are in the corner, teams aren't leaving those guys, but Trey Young's going to try to make that pass anyway, because he's Trey Young and he thinks he can do anything. And for the most part, he's right. But the, the turnovers <laughs> are sort of an issue in, in that department. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'd rather him be aggressive, and that's kind of the tact the, the Hawks have taken too. Like they they know he's, he turns the ball over too much, but that's a very small problem in the grand scheme right now, and everybody knows it. So not a huge problem moving forward. Um, you know, it's worth noting, and I think we said this a little bit during the John Collins podcast, but uh, worth emphasizing now. Young is not the only person that this is that this applies to, but when Collins came back, 
everything kind of unlocked for this offense. And uh, the numbers with Trey and Collins on the floor together versus Trey by himself are jarring. Um, when Collins, this is Perclean in the glass um, who pulls this number, so it's not it's not apples to apples necessarily, but. On that particular site, the Hawks were outscored by 13.1 points per 100 possessions with Young on the floor and Collins off the floor. Um, which A lot of that's from November when Collins was not available because um, for the most part, they really did a good job of having those guys play a ton together when Collins came back. But when they're on the floor together... Their numbers are really, really good, especially offensively. They were they were legitimately, um, you know, borderline elite. About a 111 offensive rating for the season with Young Collins on the floor together. And uh, after the famous uh, December 8th um, endpoint for Young, that number jumps to about 112 points per hundred possessions with Young and Collins on the floor together. So that's pretty impressive in a lot of ways. And that's kind of you know that's the makings of your offense right now is those two guys, and it's a really good starting place to go on. Um, we have to at least mention the defense. Um, you know, I will say before, ahead of time, you, you referenced this before, the offense is more important than the defense for guards. That really applies to almost everyone, basically everyone but center. But it's especially uh, true for point guard. And I know we've kind of beaten up on Young's defense throughout the season, and we're probably going to do that a little bit right now. It's worth noting that if, if he's this offensive player that he's been the last you know 60 games or so, no one's going to care how bad he is on defense, at least not in the, in the grand scheme of things. So... That's something that I just want to say right off the top here, because if he's as good on offense as he has been, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But he is really bad on defense, and we have to say that at least briefly on this review podcast, talking about everybody's strengths and weaknesses. It's bad. Uh, he, um, I don't really love these metrics, but he was dead last in the NBA in defensive RPM on ESPN. That's all players, and he was second to last in defensive PIPM ahead of only Devin Booker, who is another bad defender. It's not good. Um, you know. How bad is it is up for debate. You know, all the, like, catch-all stuff, I don't really want to litigate that right now. People were calling him the worst the worst defender in the league. I wouldn't necessarily plant my flag on that, but he is uh, certainly near the bottom um, right now. And I think he's going to improve because guys almost always do improve. He'll get, he'll get smarter. He'll figure out some tricks to make himself more palatable defensively. But we have to at least mention that it is a big-time weakness for him. Yeah, I mean, if you – it's sort of – it's difficult to to – compare across positions because a a very, very bad defender at the small forward spot and a very, very bad defender at the point guard spot are two different things because the small forward spot matters more as a defensive player. So when you think about Kevin Knox and his defense at the, at the small forward spot, even if he's (laughs) technically a better defender than Trey young is, he's, or he's, you know, he may be a, a, what am I trying to say here? He might be a better, he's a better defender than Trey Young is. He overall. has more tools at the very, very least, obviously. Yes, he is a better defender and he probably will always be a better defender, but his impact is more negative because of the position that he plays. And because Trey Young is a point guard, it just doesn't matter as much. And I would quibble with the fact that it should matter a little bit more because, you know, if he's going to be the primary, if he's going to be a lead guard ball handler, He's going to have to defend a ton of pick and rolls, and he's going to be a primary, a primary defender of for the team going forward. So it does matter a little bit. It's not like it just doesn't matter at all. And he is very, 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 very bad on that end of the floor. And he just is like it just is what it is. He doesn't commit any fouls, which is great because he's not usually in position to com- commit fouls. But at least he doesn't do you know at least he doesn't compound some of his mistakes with a lot of of, of committing committing fouls. And he's. He flashes every once in a while. He flashes some rebounding 
I guess you would call it grit because he doesn't have a lot of size and he doesn't have a lot of, of you know, jumping ability. I don't, I'm not entirely sure he can dunk. Maybe he can, you know, on, a, on, a, on an open rim and with, with no defenders around. But he's not, you know, a vertical athlete. He's certainly at six foot two. He's not the same kind of athlete that Russell Westbrook is at six foot three. But he gets in on the on the defensive glass a little bit, which helps. You know that that's a, that's a positive thing. I mean, I've I've written uh, numerous times about how Russell Westbrook's rebounding sort of unlocks the 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 Thunder's transition game, and I don't, you know, that's not a comparison that I would make for Young in terms of like his athleticism and stuff. But if you could, the faster you get the ball into Trey Young's hands, the better things are for your offense. And so if he's able to get in on, on the defensive glass a little bit, then he can get out in transition. You don't have to waste time getting the ball to him. He just grabs and goes. And that's that can be a, a positive for for a team that at least looks to be you know relatively offense heavy. Just leaning into your strengths on that end and, and trying to get Trey the ball as, as quickly as possible, letting him get in on the glass, that would uh, – that would be a good way to do it. That's a little bit of what they did last year. His his defensive rebound rate was relatively solid for a point guard and probably better than you would have expected based on his overall defensive reputation, which is is warranted at this point. The, the defense just really isn't very good. He'll pick up on on some some tr- skills and some tricks of the trade. I mean, he certainly is able to do that on the offensive end, so there's no reason that he shouldn't be able to do that on the defensive end. He's already a master of getting fouled, so I'm sure he understands you know how things go and and some tricks that he can you know break out every once in a while to to help uh, you know up his defensive value whether he ever gets to being what you know better than you know the 20th or 25th percentile probably not just because you know based on his his size his height and his weight and he's just he's not going to be able to to play with enough force to be a high level you know be even you know even getting to below average would be a, a, a huge win for for Trey Young. So I don't think he's going to be good on that end. If he can just not be absolutely abysmal, that would be a win for them. Yeah, and I mean, I have a ton of numbers I can share. Um, I won't use them all right now, but in short, the defense was really bad when when Young played this season, and that's not his fault entirely. Um, he played with some guys who were not good defenders. You know, Torian Prince was really bad, for instance, and actually Prince's numbers were worse than Young's individually for the season, which says quite a bit. Um, Collins, not great defensively. Herter, right now, not great defensively. Spellman, etc., etc. There were not a lot of great defensive players playing with Trey Young, so it's not just him. But, uh, you know, team building-wise, it's important to note that, I mean, as long as he's around, I think they're going to have to be an offense-first team. Now, that does not mean that they can't have a decent defense, because they can. I mean, if they build around him and hide him well and, you know, don't really provide... The, the big thing for me is that if you have Trey Young and to a very, very lesser extent, John Collins, you need some high-end defensive talent on the floor. And they have to get that. Right now, they don't really have it. They have some guys who are solid to good in, in terms of their veterans, but no legitimately elite defensive players right now. Um, they're going to need to fix that. I don't want to spend too much time on that now, but you know, Young's offense is what makes him a fantastic player and a fantastic prospect. His ceiling is incredibly high as a result of that. So I'm... Uh, I've tried to sort of pedal off on the defensive stuff the last few months. I feel like in this setting, when we're talking about everything in one place, you have to at least mention the fact that it's really not very good. But again, the easiest way I can put this is that if he's this good as he was on offense the last three or four months, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but not to the extent that you know a normal player would in a different different scenario. A role player, you got to be able to defend. If you are someone who can go out and average twenty four and nine or twenty four and eleven, if you want to talk about it, talk about a ceiling, no one's going to care about his defense until it gets to the playoffs. And 
that because a different game it's you know the, the famous Draymond Green 82 game 16 game player thing is going to be out there and we'll see how uh, hopefully sooner rather than later we'll see how young uh, sort of has to uh, I guess fix things in the playoffs where he, where he can be targeted more often but on a regular season basis teams still target him and they should but as long as he's doing what he's doing on the other end of the floor it's all good really yeah I mean that's that's pretty much how I feel about it like is he if he if he never gets to being passed abysmally bad on defense he's still in the running for some of those all NBA spots because he's going to be such a, a force offensively. Oh yeah. If he there hits there, the there are running. guys who are regularly all NBA players at guard who are bad defenders. Like yeah, Dame's gotten better for instance, but early Dame was a really bad defender. Um, yeah. Just that, that's, that's one example that you used earlier. Like he's never been a good defensive player and it didn't really matter when you were going out and averaging 26, 26 points a game. Right. And if you can average 26 and 11, 26 and 12, like whatever, whatever trace ceiling is as a, as a, score as a passer as a shooter no matter what he does on defense doesn't matter like he could lay down on the scorer's table playing with you know as on the defensive end if he's averaging 26 and 12 on offense then it's fine it doesn't matter uh, so it's it's going to be it's going to matter in the playoffs like it always does you know you, it's not you know the 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 thing that i always think about as the the 82 game player versus the 16 game player that draymond talks about for me, it's it's more about strengths than weaknesses. Is that the the regular season is a strong link sport where whatever you do at a very elite level, that's what matters, and what you do at a not very good level is just doesn't matter as much because teams can't exploit it as often because they're playing. You know, you play 82 games in 177 days, and it's just too much to to you know, to, to to target each individual team's weaknesses. But in a playoff series. Your weaknesses matter a lot more than your strengths because everybody's strong once you get to the playoffs, especially once you get past the first round of the playoffs. Everybody's a very good team. Everybody's very strong. So what you what your weaknesses are matter a lot more. That's where Trey's defensive weaknesses would have would be an issue for them. You know, if he, especially if he can't improve on what he's done or he doesn't improve significantly over over what he did his rookie year, that's going to be a problem. They can probably fix, you know, they can probably work around that to, to, to some extent with hiding him, with getting better at, at kickout switches, with getting better at scram switches. If he gets in the post against somebody bigger, hiding him against other teams, non-factor offensive players, that's going to be, you know, an important part of, of how he develops. It's going to be important to, it's going to be important to have somebody else on the roster who can defend point guards at a high level and not kill you on the offensive end. I think that's sort of an underrated role across the league because there are, are, are so many point guards who aren't great at defending their own position but could defend twos. And if you could switch those guys and have your two guard defend ones and have your, your that same two guard just you know stand in the corner and, and hit threes on on offense, that's you know that's a, that's a really valuable player. And so I think that's the sort of guard you know that's the sort of guard partner that they could be looking for with him if they want to go more Damian Lillard CJ McCollum and, and stick with Herter as the, the the shooting guard of the future and really go all in on offense with their two guard spots that can be fine too we're seeing how Portland can be very good on the defensive end even with those two guys you know on the floor when you have a, a you know an all defense level center I don't think Yusuf Nurkic is going to make all defense because of Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid's existence but He's right there. I mean, he should be, you know, if they did three or, you know, third team, fourth team, he's, you know, he's right up there. They have Mo Harkless, Al Farouk Aminu. You know, we're, this isn't a Blazers podcast, but th- that's sort of the, th- that's the team that, that comes to mind in terms of having two guards 
who are very high-level offensive players but aren't necessarily high-level defenders, you can get away with that if the rest of your team is sort of built for defense, especially at the center spot. Yep, that's uh, very well said. And, you know, in summary here, uh, Trey Young had a fantastic rookie season. And, you know, all of the stuff about his rough November and, and early December, you know, it mattered in the grand scheme of his rookie season. But looking forward, I don't think anyone expects him to ever do that again. Like, that's probably the, the worst month of his career. And, you know, it was bad, but it doesn't really matter now. Looking ahead, I think, um, you know, I said this before, but the sample I'm looking at is what he did the last 55 games. And 21, 8.5, and, and 3.5 and turnovers per game on good efficiency at the age of 20. Um, you know, he had an incredible season. And the future is is obscenely bright for Trey Young. Um, obviously, he brings a lot of entertainment value as well. And he has a swagger about him that I know fans really enjoy. And I think people are really excited about him for good reason. Now, building around him is another thing entirely. And we'll see how the Hawks do that. But having a centerpiece in your offensive engine for the future is uh, very nice in the middle of a rebuild. And it's something that a lot of teams who have done the rebuilding thing haven't found in three, four, five years. And the Hawks found it in year two. So that's a great place to be if you are a Hawks fan and uh, being excited is the way to go here and uh, nothing but uh, positivity moving forward on that front. Yeah, I mean, the, the, all of the, the nitpicks that we're getting into here with the defense and how it's going to hold up in the second round of the playoffs, like this is that those are literally as nitpicky as you can get with Trey Young because he's so good at everything else other than the turnovers, which he's going to, to curtail, you know, as he gets more experience and as he sort of grows as an NBA point guard. I'm not super worried about the, the 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 turnover numbers for him. I just don't think that it's. I think he'll he'll figure that out. I have confidence in him that he can he can figure that out. And everything else is just so great that it's already he's already a very good point guard and he's 20. And you know that's that that's the the overall that's the overall picture that we should take away from this. Not necessarily all of the the defensive nitpicks that we have. Those matter. Those may matter long term. We'll we'll see how those develop, but if those never develop, he's still going to be a very good point guard just based on what he can do offensively. Yep, and uh, we can probably leave it there for now. Uh, we've, we've covered the entire roster, except for the guys who we don't know will be around moving forward, so apologies to Deontay Davis and Isaac Humphreys and that that and that crew of people. But uh, if you missed any of, those, of, the, of the previous two pods, go back and listen. This is uh, all we're going to do for now on a player review and preview situation, but plenty more content on the way over the summer from draft stuff, lots of draft interviews and my own thoughts in the next you know two months until the draft arrives. And then after that, we'll be talking free agency and uh, summer league and all that fun stuff. So please keep it locked in here. Jeff, please tell people where they can find your work because I know you are also quite busy this time of year. Yeah, if, you, uh, if you're interested in how the playoffs are, are working out, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. I post all of my writings there. I'm, I'm pretty much all over the place right now with uh, the basketball writers and Uproxx and Forbes and my own site, Early Bird Rights and Peachtree Hoops and Blazer's Edge. And I believe that's everybody, but I always miss one. So if not, you'll find everything on Twitter. I think that's the, that's the best place to follow everything. I'm writing about the playoffs pretty much every day. I'm still super behind because yesterday was Passover and I got – out of whack with family stuff. And so, you know, I'm still working my way through, you know, I, th- I think I'm working my way through game three of Nugget Spurs and game four has already happened. So I'm a little bit behind, but the writing <laughs> is is still coming through, you know, hot and heavy. And I wrote about Kent Bazemore and uh, DeAndre Bembry for Petrie Hoops over the last two days. If you, you know, are more interested in my in-depth thoughts on those guys, you can find that at Petrie Hoops as well as the rest of our player review series uh, over there. And then, uh, I wrote about Miles Turner and his 
offensive issues in the in the playoffs against the Boston Celtics. I wrote about that for the basketball writers. You can find that over on their site. And so, you know, just keep on keeping on with the playoff stuff. And then we get into the draft and then free agency. And then I finally get a break at about the end of July. Yeah, what's uh, what's a break in this industry, Jeff? It doesn't really exist. Other than, I guess August. People always ask me when I sleep, and I always say August. But then I realize that I also cover baseball, and that's still happening in August, and some football stuff. But it never ends. But uh, thank you for joining me, as always, sir. And please follow Jeff. Get all of his work. And uh, if nothing else, just click on it. You know, you don't have to read it. Just click on it. It's fine. Yeah, same, that's, same thing uh, with that's pretty much how it works. Same thing with this podcast. Just download it. And if you don't like the content, just press the download button and all things well. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's late in the evening. Thanks for joining me, Jeff, as always. And we'll be back again later on this week with more content about the Hawks. So stay tuned for all that.